But yeah, right, I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the basic understanding of, of Hinduism is, is you and I, anybody, if they work hard enough over enough lifetimes can attain a God level of consciousness, so to speak. Look at the next one. Buddhism is the next one. I, I learned this. This is fascinating. Buddha, Buddhism is primarily an atheistic religion. The original Buddha didn't believe in God. It's not even considered a religion by devout Buddhists. It's more of a philosophy, that kind of stuff. The founder of the well, religion called Welcome the Buddha or the Enlightened Church. One that we are so glad that you're here today. My name is Tina, uh, and I'm one of the volunteers a Buddhist monk here at Ignite. Who was asked this question. Um, if, if somebody you came to you and was looking for a way to reconnect with God, to get his life back on track and find forgiveness from their past sins, what would you say to him? This was his response. I tell him that he's in the wrong place because we would encourage you to just stop really by the welcome table on your way know, out and we have a special gift to you, or maybe you. a little different. first impressions right? to people will be well, happy to give that to you. The, the, so, the next one, Islam. Thanks for being here. 
And then also, Islam, if everyone could just take a moment that they refer to as in the program Allah. that is near you, judge. there's a communication the card, you can never rip that to out loving, and go ahead and fill that out. Um, and, if you have questions, feedback about the service, no son, uh, if you want right? to communicate with us about anything. Also, if you have God any prayer Islam requests, more of an things that you would like our prayer team uh, to be praying for you, this week we would be happy to do that. And also, if you're interested in signing up for any of the things going on around Ignite, that's a great way to do that. So go ahead and fill that out, and then shortly the offering buckets will be passed, and you can just put that in there when it comes by. Okay, and then also, if you are new or newer to Ignite, we wanted to invite you to our newcomer's lunch, which is happening next Sunday, April 24th, at noon, right after the service, and we'll have that at our office, which is on Jefferson, downtown here, and we would just love for you to come, and we'll share a meal. It's a great way that you can hear more about the church, hear about the vision. If you have questions, you can ask those in a more, just in a smaller, comfortable environment, and also it's a great way for you to meet some other newer people, so if you are interested in exploring that next step of becoming connected here at Ignite, that is a great opportunity for you to do that. So we would encourage you to either sign up on your communication card or at the Welcome Center because that is a catered meal, and so we want to different books, different sources of truth for them. And then also, if you haven't already, I wanted to encourage you to download the Ignite Church app. This is pretty cool. It's a great way. I actually just used it this week. I was listening to the message from last Sunday as I was on my walk Friday and kind of relearning some of the things that Brian was telling us. You can use it to listen to messages. You can follow along in message notes. You can stay connected. If you have prayer requests that come up throughout the week, what they even call them, the Quran for the Muslim, the right? The Bible. Um, it's just a very different neat resource. Writing. So uh, we would love for you to do that. You can just find it in your app religions. store or there's a this QR one code is, in your program. You the main thing I call find the next, it there as well. Uh, row down. And also, uh, we would encourage you and, and to check us out on Facebook at Ignite Church The goal of Hinduism is to reach a level of God then I just wanted to make sure to invite you back for week four of our series next week. And we're going to be addressing the topic if God it takes is several good, lifetimes why do being bad things happen? And I think and then, and then many of us, if not all of us, have wrestled with that question at some level in our lives. And so to we'd encourage you back for that level. week as we so you have to live talk about why there is suffering and evil in the world. And we'll tackle that one together next week. If you didn't live well enough or attain a better level of consciousness, then you take a step down in the food chain. You might come back as a cat or something. But anyway, sorry. We're actually going to get a quick offering now. For those of you who've been here before, like Alex said, you know that we're doing things a little differently, but just stick with us, it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be great. Buddhism, on the other hand, takes God out of the picture, like you said, they believe that all suffering in life comes from cravings and desires. So the focus of Buddhism is to follow the Eightfold Path, a path of rituals, of rules, of disciplines even, that supposedly teach you how to crave nothing. If you can reach a state of consciousness in which you crave nothing, they would call that achieving nirvana. That's as good as it gets, right? The best you can hope for is to get to a place where you can crave nothing and therefore uh, nothing can hurt you. There's no suffering in life if you can do that. Islam, again, is focused on sort of like, like, Virtually every other world religion is focused on earning your way to heaven. Your good deeds have to be good enough to persuade the judge at the end of your life to let you into heaven. 
And therefore, Islam is quite, quite heavily focused on living out Allah's rules and uh, doing his will and that kind of thing. If, if our lives are focused on working hard enough to try and please God, that's sort of the main thing for Islam. Christianity is, uh, is different, though, isn't it? It's unique. It's very different. In fact, instead of being primarily about man-made rules, which at first glance, some people would think that, but Christianity is primarily, this is the primary message, right? Is that you and I, no, no person could ever be good enough to earn God's approval, to earn God's forgiveness, to work their way up the ladder, so to speak. And so Christianity is different in that it's focused on, on this idea that because God loved you so much and loved me so much, he actually came down. God came down to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins and for our rebellion to bring us back to God, to, to, to bring us back, uh, to forgive us for our sins, to assure us of a spot in heaven and on and on. Now, again, let me just stop, hit the pause button, just say, I don't know, see any differences between the, the four major world religions? It's pretty significant. Even the last one, I just put salvation and just put, you know, uh, for Hinduism, it's earned. It's a works-based system of, of chanting and, and meditating and doing the right things and hoping that you get reincarnated as something better and doing it again for another lifetime and another lifetime and another lifetime to, to hopefully find salvation. Buddhism uh, wouldn't really offer salvation in any kind of an eternal sense. Again, the best that they, they, they would say that it has to offer is just to not desire anything. Islam, clearly uh, a works-based system, and Christianity, uh, a system of uh, where grace and salvation is freely given because God has come for us. See any differences? Are you kind of tracking with me? You guys are kind of giving me, I know there's a lot of information I'm throwing at you, but let me just, let me just ask the question to say, what differences do you see as we go through this chart? These are just four categories that I just kind of threw down some information. What differences do you see between the major world religions? It's okay to talk in church. Go ahead. What do you see? Love. Different. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Come on. Don't. The other one is you have to be good enough or you don't make it in Christianity. You're never going to be good enough. Right. Works-based versus grace-based kind of idea. What else? I mean, certainly the concept of God. You see any differences there? One God, no God, thousands of gods, right? I mean, these are, these, are not, are, these are not just little minor, quirky, little surfacey details. They are different to their core. I don't think any person, I don't think anybody that would actually dig into these religions and examine them, I don't think any thinking open person could come to the conclusion that they are all basically the same. These are drastically different. These are uh, night and day kinds of different. Not at all the same. And therefore, if all of these are drastically different, then by definition, they cannot all be true. There's a law in philosophy that's called the law of non-contradiction. And it just states that positions that are contradictory to one another cannot all be equally true. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if three different people in the room say, hey, I think our pastor weighs 500 pounds. And the next person says, I think he weighs 200 pounds. And the next person says, I think he weighs 125. That person gets a little gold star next to their name, right? <laughs> but but, but they, cannot be, they cannot all be true. They cannot all be equally true. Could they all be wrong? Sure, they can all be wrong, but they can't all be equally true. 
So when Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through faith in me, Jesus says, right? So when Jesus says that, and the Buddhist says, there is no God, and Hindus say, everybody can be a God, and Muslims say that the only, only God is Allah, they cannot all be equally right. And if they can't be all, if they all can't be right, then the important question quickly becomes who is right and how can we know? Who can we trust? Which, which way does the evidence point? I mean, it's important, isn't it? Because our eternities are, are hinging on this fact. It becomes in incredibly important to know which one of these is the most important. And so uh, I want to switch at this point in the service if I can, and I want to do a little comparison in the amount of time that we have left between the four biggest religious leaders of, uh, of all time. We're going to look at their lives, we're going to compare them to one another, and we're going to look for unique evidence in their lives and in their teaching that will point us in the right direction towards a clear winner, because I think there is one. Now, again, I've tried to be as objective as I can be in this whole process. I don't claim to be completely objective, but uh, I've tried to be. Uh, and so, uh, but, but I guess I'll just say, as I have every week, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Do the research for yourself, right? Go and dig into it. Take a look for yourself. I think you'll find that what I'm saying is pretty true. I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be as accurate as I can be in, uh, in presenting this, this stuff. But do the research for yourself. For now, let me sort of introduce the, uh, the four most religious leaders of all time. Right, I've got them on a table up here. I'm not sure if you can see or not, but Confucius is uh, on the one end, followed by Buddha, followed by Muhammad, and then Jesus Christ. Now, you might notice that I don't, ha I don't have a figure representing Hinduism up here, and let me explain why, because there's no one central figure for Hinduism. In fact, Hinduism has its origins in taking many, many, many different religions and sort of trying to push them all together into one unified sort of religious understanding. So it really has uh, no central god. It has no central figure that started the whole thing. Um, it's, it's a little more broad than that. So for now, we'll have to just sort of take Hinduism uh, and put it in, in on the back table, so to speak. And we're going to look at these four main religious leaders, Confucius, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, and uh, Jesus Christ. We're going to evaluate them in five different areas. We're going to, uh, we'll, we'll kind of walk through that, I guess, in, in a second. And I've, I've uh, just to try and help us, I've got a visual aid, okay? I've got, I've got some blocks that I'm going to use to help us understand and help us see visually how each religious leader sort of stacks up compared to the others, okay? Sound fair enough? So we're going to kind of walk through this, five different categories we're going to evaluate, and, uh, and we'll go from there. The first thing I want to talk about is teaching, Right, kind of evaluate each of the, these religious leaders' different uh, teaching. Confucius, we'll start there. Uh, Confucius ha is, a, is a fairly well-known uh, author. If you've been to, <laughs> I feel bad even making the reference, but right, it's, if, you, if you've been to a Chinese restaurant and you've gotten a fortune cookie, probably at some point you've opened it up and it says, Confucius says, right? It has some sort of wisdom kind of thing, right? How many have heard the name Confucius before? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's that kind of thing. He authored some of those wisdom sayings, but mostly he was a collector of pearls of wisdoms from other people's sort of wisdom. And he formed a small volume uh, of these that are called the Analects. They're still widely memorized by Chinese school children. Uh, Confucius never really considered himself much of an originator of wisdom. He saw himself primarily as an editor and collector of wisdom literature and kind of a transmitter uh, of helpful information. 
You should know that his, you know that his teachings did not attempt to connect human beings to God. His writings were limited to, to the kind of wisdom that really helped people in society get along with each other better. The circulation of the, the wisdom of Confucius is decreasing in today's day and age. It's down at, at, at its peak. It, it was about 300 million people that would claim uh, Confucius teaching as, as sort of a, a guidepost for their life. It's down to about 6 million followers today, but still... Uh, his writings are widely appreciated. Uh, I'll bet we've heard his name, some of his sayings, that kind of stuff. And so we're going to start out, and we're going to give him a kind of a partial block on teaching. We'll, we'll see how he stacks up here, but this is his block, okay? We, you'll see how they compare in just a second. But, I mean, good, solid. We've, we've heard of him. We, we kind of know what he is. Buddha, uh, his teaching was originally taken from Hinduism. So, again, not, a, not an originator of, of a lot of thought, but he was a, a, a reteller of a lot of that kind of thing. Still, his writings collected, uh, were collected in huge volume, numbering almost 13,000 pages. And you all thought the Bible was bad, okay? 13,000 pages. Can you imagine? Holy cow. The actual number of Buddhist writings is difficult to figure out, uh, but, uh, but uh, certainly more than Confucius. Uh, he had more of an influence. He touched more people's lives, had uh, more adherence than Confucius. Certainly, he, too, is a great uh, influencer, a great teacher. And so to, for him, too, uh, we'll give him a, a partial block. Maybe in all fairness, it should have been perhaps a hair bigger than, than uh, that of Confucius. So maybe, is this one a hair bigger? They look about even to you? We'll say that one's a little bigger, okay? <laughs> we'll kind of go with that. But just stick with me. Now, now we get to Muhammad, right? The, the, uh, the founder of Islam. And in all fairness, I mean, he's got a pretty significant influence. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the truth source for Islam is a book called the Quran. It has a huge circulation. It's widely translated. And you should know that Islam is one of the fastest growing belief systems in the world. 1.2 billion people would say that they follow his teachings. So in fairness, he's got a pretty sizable block uh, to, for, for teaching, right? Bigger than the other two. It's pretty significant. He is a significant teacher. Again, like I said, still uh, has billions of followers, 1.2 billion followers to this day. But finally, let's get to Jesus and let's talk about him. And again, I'm, I'm attempting to maintain some, some degree of objectivity, but I, I think in all fairness, you'd have to agree, Jesus is considered by many inside the Christian faith and outside the Christian faith. He's considered by many atheists and agnostics, even people from other world religions, to be the greatest teacher of all time. His, uh, his teaching is very much original. A lot of it was very original uh, to, the, to the fact that it was jaw-dropping to those that hurt him. He's been referred to as the greatest teacher of, of all times. And many, many, many people acknowledge the sweeping brilliance of Jesus' teaching. Countless civilizations have based their judicial system and their governmental system on his teaching, including ours. Presidents and kings and queens have quoted him, his teaching, and used his teaching as the foundation for their actions and their kingdoms. Even, this one is fascinating. Even the Quran talks about Jesus. Did you know this? The Quran quotes Jesus second only to Muhammad over and over and over again. Even other world religions recognize the sweeping brilliance of Jesus' teaching and have to, have to give it credence. Isn't that fascinating? Even, even Muslims would say that Jesus at least was a great prophet and a great teacher. The circulation of Jesus' teaching is unparalleled. Every single year, between 70 and 90 million Bibles are printed and sold. 
The Bible is, the far, is by far the most widely distributed and translated book in history. It's estimated that 90% of the world's population has access to at least a portion of the Bible in their own language. Without question, the teaching and the uh, impact that Jesus had on our world clearly exceeds that of the rest of the players. Do you think that's a fair assessment to make? Still around two billion people on the planet would, would, would claim to be followers of his teaching. So again, for, for our sake, we're gonna say, we're gonna give Jesus a full block. I would say he's referred to, he's known as the greatest teacher in history. This is the block, okay? So this is the, the, the kind of the, the biggest form that we're using. Muhammad still had significant impact. Buddha and Confucius teaching, widely known and circulated. Again, per, still pretty significant. So that's where we're starting. That's teaching. The second kind of category, and this is where we start to differentiate and all the rest of them, I think will differentiate a lot more. The second area I want to look at is the moral life of each of these uh, religious leaders. I mean, certainly leaders of this stature should lead morally exemplary lives, right? We'll start with Confucius. Uh, while he strongly encouraged people to live uh, moral lives, he never claimed to be, uh, 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 never claimed more, uh, personal moral perfection, never claimed to be all that. Uh, he was never attributed uh, to be perfect or sinless or anything like that. He was a guy that tried to live a pretty good life. We don't read, we don't find in history much that, uh, that says he was like over the top great, nor do we find anything in history that says, oh, he was a terrible kind of person. He was sort of, Average, sort of middle of the road. And so, again, we'll give him kind of a partial block, probably nothing fantastic, nothing bad, somewhere in the middle. We'll say, yeah, he was, he was a good guy. The same kind of thing could be said uh, for, for Buddha, right? We, we, uh, he taught virtues like kindness and truthfulness and humility, a big part of his teaching. But we don't find very much in history about how good he was morally, like that he was above and beyond the cut, or that he was, he was really bad down here and was evil and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, again, you kind of say, okay, Okay, he's somewhere in the middle. We'll give him sort of a partial block there too. Now here's where it starts getting interesting. For Muhammad, he does not score so well. This is, things start to get a little bleaker here. Not, was, not only is he responsible for and historically known to have killed several other soldiers during his lifetime, but he lived in direct violation of his own teachings in the Quran. He exceeded the number of wives he was allowed to take and did it anyway. Muhammad often openly acknowledged his own sinfulness and asked Allah for forgiveness from it. Many of his followers have written throughout history and talked about Muhammad's dark side. I ran across this quote this week, which I thought was fascinating, from a woman that was raised Muslim, and she said this, the problem with Christians is that they aren't as good as Jesus, but thank God most Muslims are better than Muhammad. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> when it comes to being morally upright, he just wasn't. The stories about him are legendary, and so we're, we're just not going to give him a piece of the moral pie. Now let's sort of go on and, and examine and talk about Jesus for a second. We've got an interesting situation here because Jesus claimed to be one that lived in moral perfection. He claimed to be without sin. He didn't say it out of arrogance, but anytime somebody makes that kind of claim, it's just inviting, right, critique. It's, it's basically saying, well, come and take a look. Come and check it out. The fact that he made that kind of claim makes us say, well, let's investigate. Let's look further because that's a pretty tall order. 
So the first group, if you want to find out about who somebody really is, would be those that are closest to them, right? If you want to find out who I really am, you talk to my wife, right? And she would, she would assure you that I am not all that, right? That I've got my own stuff and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? But you talk to the inner circle, and the, those are the people that really know you. And so you might look at, look to Jesus and say, well, what about those that are his close friends and those that are family members? What do they say about him? Well, many of those wrote books and portions of the New Testament, you know, including his brother. And you know what they would say? They would agree with his claim. They would say, you know, I don't know, but for everything I've seen, everything I know, I think the evidence points to the fact that he is morally perfect, that he is living life without sin, which is a jaw-dropping statement for those that are closest to you. It makes you scratch your head and wonder a little bit. And so, so you might say, well, okay, well, Maybe they're, just, maybe they're just biased. They're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, some of our mothers might say the same thing, right? <laughs> oh, my. Maybe not. M- not my mother, but maybe some of yours. Oh, that Tina, she's perfect in every way or whatever. But you know, maybe, maybe they're just biased or that kind of thing. And so then maybe you might want to flip to the other side. So let's, let's look at their enemies. Let's look at his enemies. Let's see what they have to say because they would not be so, uh, I mean, they'd be pretty happy to unload on you if they had stuff. But this, is, this actually happened, right? We, we talked about the Gospels a few weeks ago and their, their reliability historically. Listen, this is just one example where his enemies uh, have an opportunity to say something. John 8, 46, Jesus is standing in front of a group of people that hated him, right? They despised him. They hated him. And this is what he said. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? That's what he asked. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? And what happened? What was their response? If you read the text, not a word. Not a word was spoken. His enemies stood looking at their shoes. Not one shred of evidence of any kind of moral lapse at any time in his life could they bring forward. They stood there speechless. Later on in his life, uh, he was questioned by Pontius Pilate before his death. And Pontius Pilate, the ruler in that land, in that era, said, said this. He says, I can find no, ba- no fault in this man. Jesus was not only without fault, but he was the most virtuous and moral person who ever lived. He set the standard when it came to service, humility, compassion, love, and on and on. Many of you have heard or read about Jesus after he went to the cross, after he'd been beaten, right? After he'd been whipped, after he'd been spat upon, after he had nails driven through his wrists and through his feet, he hung on the cross. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, those people that just nailed me to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They, they, they don't know what they've done. They don't know what they're doing. There was a soldier that was standing by that day, a guard, who said, who this was his response when he saw, he said, surely this man was the son of God. The guard knew that that kind of love just wasn't humanly possible. It just knocked the wind right out of him. No one had ever seen anything like Jesus Christ. He was the most morally perfect person who stepped foot on our planet. So again, uh, I'm not sure I can be uh, completely objective, but I think think, uh, you look at the record, you look at the evidence, you have to say, He deserves a full block. In fact, I'm not sure this block is big enough (laughs) if we're comparing, right? We're saying, man, he led an exemplary moral life. Third thing I want us to look at is miracles. 
Now, this was fascinating to me this week because I don't know if you've studied the four, uh, these four leaders all that much, but how many of you think that all four of them had similar kinds of miracles that they worked out and, and achieved in their life? How many think that, that all of them had that kind of supernatural power to defy natural law and do miracles? Think all four of them? How many think two of them did? Okay, you guys are just, you're afraid now. That's all that is. <laughs> you won't even play the game with me. Okay, this is fascinating to me. First of all, Conf uh, Confucius, right? How many miracles did he do? How many are attributed to him? How many did other people say he did? Zero, right? Nobody even claimed it. Nobody has even said anything of the sort. How about Buddha? Again, same deal. No miracles, None. Didn't even claim to have that kind of power. Never demonstrated it. It was done. How about Muhammad? Now, this one gets a little trickier. Uh, it, there's a little bit of, of, of weak evidence on the one side that said maybe Muhammad did some stuff. Here's the two biggies. Uh, they, they would say that some have said that Muhammad split the moon in two. Okay. The other, the other uh, piece of evidence that they have is that it said he comforted a weeping palm tree when it started crying because he finished his sermon. Now, I got to say, I'm, I like to think of myself as a pretty good preacher. I've never really had a, a palm tree weep like when I got done or whatever. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I mean, he would say himself, this is from the Quran. These are words from the Quran. I've got this quote where he says that he, he doesn't do it. So it says this, this is from the Quran, Surat number 29 and verse 50 says this. And they say, why are not signs and miracles sent, sent to him, to Muhammad from his Lord? And the response is this, oh Muhammad, the signs are only with Allah and I am only a plain warner. That's from the words of Muhammad himself, right? That's a quote from him. He's saying, you know what? I'm not, I don't do miracles. That is for God, he's saying. I'm just a warner. I'm just here to warn people. He's even claiming himself that he doesn't have power to perform miracles. But just, just so it cannot be said that I'm totally like trying to sway people and just for, for, the, <laughs> for those that are saying, you know what, um, uh, there are some that claim something. We can give him a little piece of the puzzle, okay? We'll give him, I, I think these are, uh, these are white, so I'll give him a little something there that says, okay, maybe there's something, right? Maybe there's something there. I'm not so sure, and, and it's not really verified in history as well, but there's a little something there, so we'll, we'll give him that. Now let me just finish up with Jesus here, right, and say, how many have, have heard or read about some of the miracles that Jesus performed, right? off the charts kind of stuff, supernatural power galore. Throughout his three-year ministry on earth, there are amazing stories Heal of him healing physical afflictions like the man born blind, like uh, the person that was unable to walk and he healed them. There's stories of him raising someone from the dead. I mean, jaw-dropping kind of miracle kinds of things. There are stories well circulated about him calming storms and wind. There are stories about him feeding thousands from a kid's lunch pail. His miracles were recorded not just by the writers of the Gospels, but were widely, widely recorded by secular historians, including a couple of Roman Caesars. Jaw-dropping kind of stuff. Even non-believers are recording these events and that these things happened. Jesus had a sort of supernatural power that the others simply don't have, and it puts him in a class all by himself. And so, again, I think a full block and maybe then some, right? I mean, that's a, 
nobody in history has ever, oh my gosh, I'm gonna knock over my lovely illustration. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, but I mean, nobody in history has ever, has ever been heard of uh, doing miracles and performing miracles like this. Unbelievable. Fourth, fourth category, let's talk about prophecy. And, and just w when I say that, I'm talking about the ability to see clearly into the future or into people's hearts and lives. I looked, in fact, Paul and I both did tons of searching this week, looking, reading on Confucius and Buddha, trying to see if, they, if this kind of prophetic power was attributed to them. You want to know what I found? Again, nothing, not a trace anywhere in the record associated with Confucius or Buddha. There's a hint of it that Muhammad made a couple of general predictions, but let me, let me tell you what's interesting. Almost all of them have to do with predicting that someone's going to die in wartime. Now, I mean, if I'm standing on one side of the battlefield and there's other people lined up on the other side of the battlefield and I say, you're going down, like I would, to me, like could that be a prophecy? Maybe, right? I mean, maybe it could be, but people die in war, right? Like that's sort of the point. <laughs> like they do that all the time. And to go over and actually kill someone that you said was going to die makes it seem a little bit less like prophecy and a little bit more like cause and effect. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, but again, in all fairness, could we give him a little, a little slice of the prophecy wheel? Sure, we'll give him a little slice and say, maybe there, maybe there was something there. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I want to be as fair as I can be. But again, Jesus, uh, off the charts kind of stuff. There's this one time, it's recorded in John chapter 4, where uh, Jesus is connecting with a, a woman at the well, and they strike up this spiritual conversation. And the woman happened to mention that the fact that she wasn't married. And Jesus says, well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's like, in fact, the truth is, you've been married five times before, and the guy that you're with now isn't your husband. What you have said is quite right. And I don't know if you remember or not, but her response is, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. She, you know, her response is, she's saying, you know, there's no way possible you could have you could have known the things that you know she's saying you you've seen into my life things that you shouldn't know you must be a prophet now this wasn't just a one-time occurrence jesus constantly showed that he had this sort of prophetic sort of power even in a broader sense he predicted his own death years later he predicted how he would die that he would be crucified that he would be buried that he would be brought back from the dead on the third day Additionally, he, pre he predicted historical events, things like the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which wouldn't happen for 30 to 40 years after his death. He, he did this kind of thing all the time. It, the list goes on and on and on. Friends, the fact is that there is evidence galore for Jesus' prophetic ability that no other religious leaders had. You can do all the research you, you want. I'd encourage you to dig in, see what the historical record says. But again, I think in all fairness, you'll come to the same conclusion that I have, that you have to give Jesus a full piece of the puzzle, right? a full piece of the pie here saying, you know what? I think, I think he's, he's the real deal. I th he was able to look in uh, to the future. He was able to predict things that apart from him being God is really hard to do. So we'll, we'll go for that. The fifth one, and this category, I'll, I'll admit to you, is a little biased, okay? But I think it's convincing. I really do. I, I think it's convincing, and that's why I've included it. The fifth category that I've included, I've called it death and death or resurrection. What happened when they died? Okay? Now, again, can you see where I'm biased here a little bit? Yeah. Okay, but, but I tell you what, there have been 
literally thousands and tens of thousands of people throughout human history that have claimed to be messiahs. Still, this still happens today. That have claimed to be prophets. That have claimed to be all kinds of things. Gurus and spiritual whatevers. Right? They've claimed that they've got the corner on God and, and, and whatever. And there's, but there's one event that always calls their bluff. You know what it is? Death. Right? That's why, it's why you can see cults swell and they'll rise up and they'll gain m- momentum and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and everything will be going great as long as the leader's alive. But when the leader dies, what happens oftentimes right, is after a number of weeks or months, sometimes years, the enthusiasm wanes. The people scatter because the person died and they stay dead. Death has a way of sort of calling our bluff, calling the bluff on the whole Messiah type person. I mean, death called Confucius's bluff, right? I mean, he died and he stayed dead. And no matter how influential Buddha was or how enthusiastic he was about his eightfold path, when Buddha died, he stayed dead. And no matter how big the influence of Muhammad, Muhammad or how great his teachings when he died, he stayed dead. In fact, uh, devout Muslims, probably at some point during their life, will make a pilgrimage to Mecca, won't they? And you want to know why they go to Mecca? It's where Muhammad is buried, right? They, they go, you can actually go inside the tomb. You can see his remains there. When, when Muhammad died, he stayed dead. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, right, it looked like death was going to call his bluff too. And in fact, when he died and they put him in a tomb and some of his followers went back to fishing and they thought it's all over. They thought, well, that's it. Death has won the day. But then came the third day, didn't it? Then came resurrection day when Jesus burst forth from the tomb. He distinguished himself from every other spiritual leader and every other human being in history. The resurrection of Jesus, more than any other factor, puts him in a class all of his own. You conquer death, the world needs to sort of stand up and take note, don't you think? Okay, that was weak. Don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's tons of proof for this. We talked about some a couple of weeks ago, right? It's, it's all over the historical record. It's, it, it's all over secular non-Christians, non-Christian historians are confirming and backing up the claims. It's credible. But the resurrection puts Jesus in a class all of his own. And so I'm giving him a block for that too, <laughs> right? So let me just stop for a second and just say, how do they stack up, right? How, what does is, what is the evidence point to? Now, I'll give you that if Jesus comes and, and, and Jesus makes claims like he did, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If he's making claims like that and he has no evidence, nothing that backs up his claims, it is kind of arrogant. If all religions are equally valid and equally true, if they're all basically the same, then those kinds of comments that Jesus is making, that's an arrogant statement. But friends, I would argue and I think, I think you could come to this conclusion too. Do your own research. Do your own study. But I would argue that the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor that his life, the, the, moral, uh, the moral life that he lived, his teaching, the miracles, the prophecy, even his own resurrection from the dead, these are all factors. These are all evidence that point in the direction that say, you know what? Maybe it's not 
a, a level playing field. Maybe it's not just a good teacher dude making that kind of statement. I think a, a person that's open, that's teachable, that's examined the evidence would have to say, what if he's right? What if it wasn't him just bragging or, or making claims like men do? But what if all of the evidence is pointing to the fact where he really is God's son? And he's, and he's saying to humanity, he's saying to you and to me, to every person that's ever lived, there's life available if you'll come and put your faith in me. You can come back home to God. You can find forgiveness. There's life if you'll just come and receive what I've done for you. Maybe he really is who he claimed to be. Does the evidence point there I think it does. God has come for you. He has come. The evidence point to the fact, that, the, the fact that he is not just a good teacher. He is something more. He distinguishes himself. He is above and different than any other religious teacher, than every, any other person that's ever walked the planet. And his message is one that is still transforming lives and hearts today. His message says that God loves you so much that he came and lived a perfect life and died a death in our place, paying the price for my sin and your sin and my rebellion and your rebellion and then rose again so that anyone who turns to Christ, anyone who opens up his or her heart and life to him and says, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and wash me and make me clean? Would you come and adopt me back into your family? Would you bring me back into a relationship with you? And would you assure me of a spot one day in heaven? He says, anybody who puts their trust in him is saved, right? They are forgiven. They are made new. They are brought back home into God's family. What does the evidence say to you? I mean, really, that, that's what this whole series is all about, right? What does the evidence say to you? Now, it could be that you're here today, and maybe you're like, yeah, nice little boxes, pastor, preacher boy, but, but I'm not convinced, right? And, and if, that's, if that's you, and you have legitimate questions, or, or, or you know, just legitimate things that are standing in your way, you know what? I would encourage you, go after it, right? Do the research for yourself. Dig in. I'd encourage you, read about this Jesus dude in here. Start in the book of Luke. It's the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in the right half of the, the, the Bible. Check him out for yourself. See who he is. See who he is to you. I can remember one time Jesus was talking with his followers, and he, said, he, he asked this question. He said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some, of, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good teacher. Some say you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Some say, I mean, some say you're all these kind of things. And, and then Jesus says, you know what? Here's, here's the real question. He said, well, how about you? He says, who do you say that I am? It's a question that every single one of us needs to answer. It's the most important question that gets asked in this life. Who do you say that I am? Who's Jesus? Where does the evidence point? If you've got questions, if you've got legitimate hangups, if you need to do your research, you know what? I would love to help point you in the right direction. I would buy you a cup of coffee any day of the week and sit down and help answer questions and help point you to some, some resources that would be helpful I'd love to have that conversation with you. But you know what? There's some of us here too that, uh, I don't know, I th we're probably convinced enough. 
You know, we'll never have all of our questions answered, but we probably have our questions answered enough that we've said, you know what? I think there's something to this Jesus guy. And if that's you today, I would just encourage you, friend, just to open up your heart and life to Christ and just cry out, I need you. Would you come and reveal yourself to me? Would you come and lead me? Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and be my God? It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you are ready this morning, I'd encourage you just in your heart to sort of open yourself up and say, Jesus, come. I need you. For those of us that maybe have already uh, already done that, we've kind of put our faith in him in the past, can I just say my hope and my prayer for you uh, as, as I was prepping this message this week is like, I hope that, that going through some exercises like what we've been doing the last few weeks, I hope that it emboldens you, that it gives you courage. It seems like so often we as Christians feel rocked back by the culture and by the challenges that get thrown their way, and you need to know, you know what? The evidence stacks up, right? There is good reason to stand firmly on Jesus with confidence saying, man, he is unmatched. He is like no other, and there is life and salvation in his name. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Man, there is good reason. All right, I'm going to pray for us in a second. We thought it'd be kind of cool to move worship to the end after we've kind of built the case for how great of king and God we have uh, to spend some time worshiping at the end. But one, one comment before I pray for us and we move to that is I'll just say, man, make sure you're back next week. Tina mentioned we're going to be, part four, we're going to be talking about if, if God is good, why is there all this crap happening in the world? Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is there whatever? And it's, it might sound like an intellectual question, but let me assure you, the questions that we've gotten back from people, it is not at all impersonal or intellectual. This is a very real question that all of us probably deal with and some of us have struggled with for years or decades or more, right? And, uh, and so make sure you're here. Bring some people with you. It'll be, it'll be a great day. And then the fifth week, I don't know if you've caught this or not, but we're taking the top questions from you and your friends and, and people that have filled out the survey, and we're going we're gonna to try to address the top four or five. So if you have a question or some questions that haven't been addressed yet that aren't going to be addressed in these first four weeks, please make sure put them on a communication card. Get it in my hand. Send me an email. Or if you've got the uh, Ignite Church app, uh, open up the Ignite Church app. There's actually a skeptic wanted survey on there fill it out we'll get the data we're going to take the top four or five and not next week but the week after we're going to do a stump the chump right <laughs> with we're going to try and address all those kinds of questions and i'm not saying we can give a, a satisfactory answer to all of them but we're at least going to try and give some intentional thought and uh and address some of those tough questions and so make sure you fill that out sound fair Are you with me i think it'll be i think it'll be great and so with that why don't i pray for us and we will uh move into a time of worship Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you, uh, I thank you, Jesus, for, uh, for reigning as our king. I thank you for the perfect life, for the, the power that you've shown in the miracles, for the wisdom you've shown in your prophecy, for the perfect life that you lived, for the death that you died in our place, and for the resurrection that sealed it all. God, we thank you that you stand alone. 
And Father, for those of us that have, uh, that have questions, that have doubts, that are still seeking, that have stumbling blocks before us, Lord, I pray that you would remove those stumbling blocks, that you would answer their questions, that you would prove yourself to them in such a real and powerful way, God, that they can know with confidence that they want to put their trust in you and follow you. God, for those of us who are convinced enough, Lord, we just want to open our hearts and lives to you. And we want to say, come, Lord Jesus, come and fill us. We know that you are more than just a man, more than just a good teacher. You are God. You are the only Savior, the only King. And so come, Lord Jesus, come and forgive us for our past for our sins, for our junk, for our rebellion. Would you come and make us new and lead us and be our God as we move forward? We need you, Jesus. And for those of us that are already believers, God, would you root us deep in you? Would you help us to stand firm on your foundation with confidence to proclaim, to share, to stand on your truth, your wisdom, your salvation, and the reality of you, your greatness in our lives. We need you, God. We love you. We worship you now, and we turn our hearts and our eyes to you. Be honored, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name.